Um, you know, I don't know that 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 there are many, uh, even any uh, similarities between radio and uh, and podcasting. I mean, let's. I mean, remember that. Um, you know, podcasting is generally um, being uh, powered by average people, people like you and me, um, that are making magic and building audiences and building communities. So I know, Jay, that you're totally on, on the side of podcasting, no doubt. You're a podcaster yourself. Um, but you're right, community is a huge thing. And, uh, and radio just hasn't been able to build up, I think, that kind of loyalty or community that podcasting has been able to do pretty successfully and for the most part pretty much across the board but you know the first thing jay i would say is i don't fully agree with all of your reasons of how podcasting is different from radio i think in fact a lot of the things you said radio does do in fact if you look at some of the more uh, progressive rate traditional radio stations their online environments are very similar to all the things you're saying in terms of being able to track and they let people leave comments and all that sort of stuff and the reason why I'm saying this is because I don't think we can confuse the fact that this is audio uh, as much as we should be sort of comparing it to the type of audio this is. So what I mean by that is... Welcome to Episode 4 of the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing Podcast, featuring an incredible interview with Tim Westergren, the founder of internet radio website Pandora.com, and we will announce the winner of the first 10 Golden Rules Best 2008 Presidential Candidate Internet Performance. Welcome to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing Podcast, featuring the latest strategies and techniques to drive traffic to your website and convert that traffic into sales. Now here's the CEO of 10goldenrules.com, Jay Berkowitz. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time we find you. Thanks for joining us. We've got a great show this week with a ton of interesting content. So I'm going to try and go fast and get through it all. We have a fantastic interview with Tim Westergren. Tim is the founder of Pandora.com. If you don't know it, I definitely recommend it's an online radio website that lets you create a custom station based on the types of music you like. And Tim talks about how to build a successful .com some of the issues behind a recent decision by the Copyright Royalty Board in Washington to almost triple the licensing fees for internet radio sites like Pandora. And uh, we've got a great section on what's hot. We're going to take a look at online election advertising and we'll rate the internet performance of the top six candidates for U.S. President in 2008. We have a live from the blog section, the teams looking at things like widgets and Google local remote testing. We're going to end with a live acoustic song from Black Lab, who are uh, internet heroes uh, in their own right. And I'll explain the, the Mitch Joel and Joe Jaffe portion off the front and uh, talk a little bit about the debate between radio and podcasting that came from one of our listener questions and has been picked up by a couple of the other podcasts around the internet. So before we get into the content, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, Great news, the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing podcast was selected for listing in iTunes. So now, if you like the show, you can go to iTunes, click on the store, search 10 Golden Rules, that's number 10, Golden Rules, and you can register to subscribe to the show. And each week when we update a new show, it will be added to your iTunes directory free of charge. 
So if you want to check that out, please do. Um, the community, the, the interactive nature of this podcast, please share any comments you have and call-ins by sending an email to podcast at 10goldenrules.com or call in. We love the call-in audio comments. All you have to do is call plus one two zero six eight 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 six six zero six. That's two zero six eight 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 six six zero six. I'd love your feedback on any of the things we're talking about here on the show. Ask us some questions, interact. It's that's really what is going to make this show really great. There's also been some questions over the last couple of weeks about the format we use. And I just wanted to mention that I record the show live on cat using a software called Cast Blaster. I don't edit it at all, and I really love your comments and questions. We have some fantastic interviews coming up, and, and the great one today with Tim Westergren. So um, that's basically how we do the show. We just go live and uh, play it for you. Okay, so first let me explain the uh, two introductions we played off the top of the show. Uh, Mitch Joel and Joe Jaffe are two amazing internet podcasters. Joe is the verbose, colorful, creative South African. He's the author of the book Life After the 32nd Spot. Energize your brand with a bold mix of alternatives to traditional advertising. Mitch is the president of Twist Image, a web development company in Montreal, Canada and the Twist Image blog, and the Outstanding Six Pixels of Separation podcast. And the history is Joe asked Mitch Joel to co-host his show, and this gave birth to Mitch's podcast. And Mitch was a tremendous help in getting our podcast going, helping me learn the software and hardware tools we needed in order to do our podcast. So a couple weeks ago, we got a listener comment, and that listener asked us about asked me why are podcasts so much like radio and a traditional radio format? If we're new media guys, how come we're not coming up with a new, more innovative format? And I answered the question, and then I, I posed on the podcast, I said, you know, I wonder what Mitch Joel thinks, and I wonder what Joe Jaffe thinks, and I wonder what Adam Curry, the podfather, thinks. So we haven't heard from the podcaster, but Mitch and Joe were good enough to take time and comment on this topic on their podcast. So I'm going to play you the piece from Mitch uh, and, uh, and the piece from Joe. Joe went on for about 20 minutes, so I've edited them down to about five minutes each. But let me give you their comments, and then I'll talk a little bit about what they had to say. Planning them at all. Um, but it's a good segue um, to um, this question that came from uh, Jay Berkowitz. And, um, and it came to Adam Curry, um, Mitch Joe, and myself. And I'm going to comment on the actual uh, audio comment itself, but also on something else that Jay did that I thought was kind of interesting. Hi, it's Jay Berkowitz here from the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing Podcast. I had a really interesting question on my cast last week. I thought I'd pass it over to you guys, um, get your take as well. First, I'll play this section from my segment, and then uh, over to Joe Jaffe, Mitch Joel, Adam Curry. I'd love to know your take on this one. Uh, so here we go from uh, the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing podcast. We also received a great question this week from one of our clients, and she wanted to re remain anonymous for now. But her question was, 
how come your podcast and other podcasts like Joe Jaffe's podcast and Adam Curry's podcast, how come they all sound like a radio show? Since we're all into new media, why are we basically doing radio on iTunes? Why isn't there a newer evolution of the media? So I think this is a great question, and it's one I'd love everyone's input into. What do you think about podcasts, and, and how do you think they work relative to radio formats or internet formats? Uh, my, my take on, on this one is I think the podcast format is highly interactive like the internet. It's closer to internet marketing than radio because we can measure how many downloads and how many subscribers we have. We can build that interactive two-way relationship. We're also seeing the nature of, of a community and we can bring to life links to websites through our, our blog and our show notes. But I think this is a really great question. And I think I'll forward this portion of the show to Mr. Jaffe, Joel, Curry, etc. And let's see what their insight is. Let's see what they think about this question, because I think it's a great question. Well, first of all, I just want to thank you for putting my name first before Mitch's uh, and Adam Curry's. And it's, it's good to know that you have your, priority, your, pri <laughs> your priorities um, straight and that you recognize it when it comes to marketing savviness that Jaffe comes before Joel and Joel comes before Curry. So appreciate that. It's a little bit of uh, baiting as well going on. Uh, no, in all seriousness, um, you know, I don't know that I fully agree with your explanation, Jay, um, about the data because I still think the data kind of sucks when it comes to podcasting. Ironically, probably radio has even better data and certainly has a lot of research, whereas podcasting is still really, really nascent. Um, I just don't trust the data that I get back. Um, you know, I've, I've personally, I think, met uh, 2,000 people that have listened to Across the Sound, and yet my data suggests uh, numbers a lot, uh, a lot uh, more south or souther hmm, than, uh, than that. Um, but um, let's talk about that for a second. First of all, um, the reason I'm not sure that podcasting is like radio, um, like radio programs in any way. I mean, you know, the, the Jeff Smith uh, jingles, like, like the ones I use. Letters, letters, we get lots of letters. I mean, no radio show sounds like that today, um, but, but they did sound like that, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. And obviously that's the kind of, um, it's not meant to be a dig at all, but, you know, the fact that anybody with a 30 or $40 uh, karaoke microphone um, can in fact create a radio-like program is very cool and, and with such low barriers to entry um, it is something definitely you know worth kind of sticking out your tongue and going na 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 or, uh, or as uh, I think Nelson would go ha ha so um, you know I, I, I took that deliberate approach which is to kind of and, and of course my muse and, and, and my yardstick my benchmark has been Adam Curry so, you know, I kind of listen a lot to, to his style, in a sense, and uh, emulate that to a degree. But I think besides the hokey little intros uh, sometimes and the little segments or vignettes, there really is nothing similar between podcasting and radio. You know, caught my eye, I guess, uh, or my ear in terms of what Jay did. And I think w what Jay just did, and I don't know that this has been done um, or at least that I've realized this before, Jay just did the uh, podcasting or the audio equivalent of link baiting 
in the sense that he sent the same question to three podcasters, three pretty prominent podcasters, three podcasters with pretty, um, I would say, enviable uh, uh, listeners or listener bases or communities. Of course, you know, Adam is in his own league by far, and then Mitch and myself in another one together. But uh, it's interesting that he's gone out and essentially link-baited, in, in, a, in, in, the, in the best possible way, three prominent podcasters. Um, and, of course, you know, the real test will be to see who responds, who responds first, um, and who doesn't respond. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow this, and uh, I'm going to choose to... Uh, I'm not going to choose. I'm going to hope to play Mitch's response from Six Pixels and Adam's response from Daily Source Code um, on a uh, upcoming episode um, of Across the Sound. And of course, it will be interesting to see how these three responses differ um, from podcaster to podcaster to podcaster. Um, you know, the other thing as well that I will add, just one final point, is just to prove how different these two um, exp uh, expressions or outlets um, are, the fact that a listener can actually call in a suggestion and, and inf influence um, or affect the actual format of the podcast itself just shows what's great about um, this medium, um, if it can be called a medium. Um, because I think it's a little bit more special and a little bit more unique than that. So thanks for sending in um, that uh, audio comment slash question slash bait slash challenge. It will be interesting, as I said, to see what happens. Um, um, next up is pretty interesting. I actually got a, a comment from from Jay Berkowitz, and it showed up on Joseph Jaffe's Across the Sound as well on episode number 83. Joseph is author of the amazing book Life After the 30 Second Spot, and his new book, Join the Conversation, is coming out shortly. And so Jay sort of had a, a component of his podcast called 10 Golden Rules, and he pulled it out and emailed it to myself, to Joseph Jaffe, and as well as the podfather, Adam Curry, who's got the amazing podcast, Daily Source Code. So let's just take a listen to this segment, and we'll come back and, uh, and deal with all of that. It's a good question. It's a great question. That was Jay Berkowitz from 10 Golden Rules. And if you actually head over to Joseph Jaffe's Across the Sound, episode number 83, I know he's speaking about it, and he actually said that he would play uh, this part of my podcast on his show as well, just to sort of see how the community sort of thinks about it. You know, the first thing, Jay, I would say is I don't fully agree with all of your reasons of how podcasting is different from radio. I think, in fact, a lot of the things you said radio does do. In fact, if you look at some of the more uh, progressive rate, traditional radio stations, their online environments are very similar to all the things you're saying in terms of being able to track and they let people leave comments and all that sort of stuff. And the reason why I'm saying this is because I don't think we can confuse the fact that this is audio uh, as much as we should be sort of comparing it to the type of audio this is. So what I mean by that is, you know, I think people hear audio podcasting, audio radio, and they get confused when you should be looking at the type of media that this is. You see, Podcasting is unique because of the subscription component of it, meaning people actively come in and say, I want to subscribe, and when the new show is produced and uploaded, it automatically gets downloaded into their podcatcher, whether that's iTunes or whatever it is. And this creates a very unique type of media, one where the consumer or listener can decide 
what device they want to listen to it on. If they want to listen to it on their laptop or on their iPod, they can time shift so they can listen to this whenever they want. I don't know when this will be listened to. It might be listened to the Sunday that it's produced. It might be listened to only three, four weeks time. You know what? In 10 years, someone might come back and listen to this for the first time. So the time shifting component is very, very big. The transferring of the media to other devices is very, very huge. The fact that you can pause fast forward, rewind. You can even transfer it to a different type of media. So I could take this podcast, I could put on a USB jump key, I can burn it to a CD, I can transfer it to an iPod. It's it's very different in, in how those features work. It's different from the subscription standpoint. And if you also have to be able to look at this whole sort of transition that we're going through, right? We start off with blogging, which was primarily text, and then images came along. We started using things like Flickr to connect. And now as the pipes get bigger and better and wider and faster, we're moving into audio a lot better. And we see the shifting now towards video as well. You know, I think the things that obviously make it very, very similar is the theater of the mind. And I think as human beings, what's interesting is the tragic mistake we make, which is we go, hey, radio is audio theater of the mind so is podcasting you go it's like radio well I don't necessarily know if I sort of look at it that way I don't see this at all as a traditional channel I think we are if any if you want to compare it to any sort of traditional maybe it's more like pirate radio where it's the sort of duct tape and, and, and paper clips to make everything work you know I don't necessarily I hope we're not trying to monetize podcasts the way we did with radio which is that interruption model of you know every 30 minutes you've got your sponsors 30 second spot I think what we're seeing also in that level is what really differentiates podcasting from radio and the fact that the content is the actual media right this content that you're listening to right now is the media it is the content that you're after it's not the it's not the ads why do I do this how am I monetizing this well hopefully people hear this hear me talk they want to have me speak perhaps they want to hire twist images their digital marketing agency that's what this is my job here is to use the content component of it as the media that's why there are no ads here that's why there are no sponsors there's really no reason for that the freedom factor is also huge you can listen to it and you know you're, you're no longer geographically challenged in terms of radio and yeah there's satellite radio I, I hear you um, but the uniqueness of this really is the fact that it's it's literally everywhere. Anybody with an internet connection has access to this type of audio as well. I see what you're saying in terms of format, maybe. You know, there's opening music, there's audio speaking. I don't know how else I would do it <laughs> without it being completely insane to most people. But, you know, ultimately, what is this? It's a big time experiment. Uh, this is the long tail of content. There's an unlimited amount of space here. Radio programming, you've got X amount of hours in the day, you've got 24 hours in the day, you've got to fill those blocks, making compelling so people come back and back. Here it's the long tail. Who knows how long this show will go for? I certainly don't, as you can tell by usual show length. And there's that notion of the long tail where there's enough niches and enough little verticals for everybody who wants to do a show on anything that may be of interest to them. As long as there's an audience, there's room, there's place in the programming slots. So I think there's tons of, of things that may be similar at its primal level because we hear again that audio and they go, okay, it's like radio. But I think when you actually dig deep and you look at what type of media podcasting is how it works I find it completely different in fact I think podcasting whether it's audio or video is going to change and affect all of the other media channels because of the way it's consumed by consumers and because of the way consumers can participate in it as well and you also got to keep in mind there's a hundred million iPods sold and well over that now with with the iPhone in circulation as well so our our concept of how we actually take 
audio or video and listen to it and manipulate it and use it is really going to change. Right now you still have to sync up your iPhone via USB connector into your laptop. My, my understanding was that that was going to be Bluetooth completely wireless. So imagine if you did have that Bluetooth wireless device where it just transferred it to the bigger screen in your living room which might be your TV screen or your computer screen. All of this is we're right on the verge of that so just this idea of content and to things very very different from radio um, and I think people who are just doing radio and podcasting there's some great ones and some some amazing stuff happening there but you know just I guess it's not as exciting for me what I love about it is the niche content and the ability to connect with people and and actually get some feedback going which I think is pretty cool so I hope that answers your question but I'd love your feedback you're listening to this and you think hey Mitch you are completely off your rocker on okay so the guys did a great job so first off a big thank you to Mitch Joel from the six pixels of separation and Joe Jaffe from across the sound they gave us a lot of time and they give a lot of thought to this question However, it's really clear that Mitch doesn't agree with Joe, who doesn't agree with me, who doesn't agree with the, the questioner, and there's a lot of uh, questions up in the air, so we'd love your feedback. Give us a call at 206-888-6606, and you can join the discussion. Um, I just wanted to comment a little bit on what they had to say. Um, one thing that they both um, perhaps misinterpreted from what I said is I said that the inter Internet has more measurability. And what I meant on that by that is the Internet is much more like direct marketing than any other medium. And direct marketing is defined in that it is measurable and interactive, and we can target people specifically, and we know who responded. And I find the Internet is most like direct marketing. It's not really like television. And when people play a TV spot on the Internet, those flash intros that's the biggest mistake they can make because you want to interact like you do with a direct marketing campaign and on this podcast and, and on Mitch and Joe's podcast they invite the community to interact and they're able to measure how many people download the podcast how many people call into the podcast how many people refer other people to the podcast it's a very interactive type of medium much like direct marketing the other thing I wanted to mention um, it was it was interesting. Joe called my reach out to them link bait, and and I honestly wanted their opinion, but I wanted just to define link bait for people who aren't familiar with the term. It comes from search engine marketing, and the term link bait has been used to describe something you put on your website or your blog or the internet, and other websites and other blogs link to that item. So say for example you have some free software or you have a free white paper that people can download and if other internet marketers think that that is a value and they link to that place on your website where you have the free software or the free white paper that is a link and the item itself becomes bait like fishing bait it baits people to link to that website and of course the importance of links from other websites is it makes your website important and the more link bait you have the more links to your website. Um, Mitch uh, made another great point. He talked about the time shifting of podcasts, and that's one of the things that's absolutely I love about podcasts. I can listen to bright guys like Mitch and Joe, and I get the ability to time shift. I can listen to them when I walk my dog, when I drive, and last week we even had a caller who was listening to my podcast on his iPhone. So the, the um, ability to time shift and uh, medium shift is going to continue to grow and grow with podcasting. 
the final thing that I love that Mitch has talked about before is the media is the message and the podcast itself becomes his vehicle to talk about his thought leadership same thing for Joe same thing for myself now where the two of them differ a little bit is Mitch is, is sort of adamantly against putting any sponsors or advertising in his podcast and Joe's been talking a lot about uh, getting a, a uh, someone to donate a free iPhone to him and come on his show as a sponsor he's also selling a sponsorship in his upcoming 100,000 ep episode so very interesting stuff please call in let us know what you think 206-888-6606 and if anybody out there knows the podfather Adam Curry please let him know that we're waiting to hear what he has to say as well well we had a couple call-ins this week and uh, so let me get right to, right to those and keep the show going uh, here's the first one hey Jay it's John Vigerano from ROI Makers I have a question for you I've been listening to your podcast I like what I hear and Wanted to know if you could talk a little bit more about SEO and how you could get up uh, higher on the page rankings. Thanks. Hey, John. Thanks so much. That's a great question, and we're definitely going to cover search engine optimization, how you design your website and, and construct your website so that you get picked up high in Google and the other search engines. We're definitely going to cover that in the next couple weeks. Uh, just no way we have time today. Here's the next uh, call in from Joan Sparks. Hi, Jay. This is Joan Sparks. We work together at eDiets.com. I really appreciate all the trend information. Most of us in corporate life don't have the time to look at all the great researchers out there, attend the key conferences. So it really helps when you summarize everything and tell us the hot new trend to make our numbers every month. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Joan. Uh, well, great questioning and great comment. Um, and we're definitely going to do everything we can on the 10 Golden Rules podcast in order to share the latest trends. Uh, we're going to do it two ways primarily. Number one is with the What's Hot section, which is coming up, and with this next section, which is called Live from the Blog. And every week, um, our team at 10 Golden Rules does, a, you know, every person does at least one blog post on our blog that's available. If you go to 10goldenrules.com and click on blog, you can see our web blog. And you can even subscribe to it as well. And every time there's a new post, a new trend, we share that information. And we're kind of taking the best of the blog and recording it live. And so here's the team with live from the blog this week from the 10 Golden Rules. Hi everybody, this is Michael, and after attending my first affiliate summit in Miami last week, I had several questions racing through my mind. What makes a good affiliate? What makes a reputable publisher? And how much money is actually being made from these types of programs? I was interested, I was interested to learn the behind the scenes of this category. To the everyday user, they surf and they purchase. People are able to cash in on this business model and collect a commission for hosting links and selling someone else's product. It seems so easy to jump in, and to do this, I had to ask, what is the catch? A key item that I was able to take away was to make sure you are offering products that you can relate to. If you're going to be an affiliate and start attracting people to your site, select an area that you are passionate about or have some experience with. There were a few different models that work well. One 
offer a niche product which may draw little traffic because it doesn't apply to everyone, but offers the highest affiliate commissions. And two, you can offer something that is open to anyone and everyone using the internet. However, this pays the lowest commission due to the competition and you will make it up with the volume in sales. Hi, this is Margie. Sometimes I really hate the internet. If you knew me, you'd know how hard it was for me to say that. Having been a webby since 1994, I'm one of those people who says, social media, web 2.0, is this supposed to be something new? The internet has been providing a way for people to communicate, share ideas, and generate content since the early days. Doesn't anyone remember bulletin boards? One of the things I generally love about the internet is how easy it makes it for me to be informed. From daily news to industry information, I simply find I don't need another source. But sometimes that incredible access to information can be a bad thing, at least for me. For instance, the new Harry Potter book appears to have been leaked, and spoilers about what happens are now nearly unavoidable online. While looking at a YouTube video to research the latest post by Jeremy Lockhorn, Making Video Advertising Accountable to Consumers, I stumbled upon a list of spoilers in a comment posted on a video, and the video was completely unrelated to Harry Potter. Like I said, sometimes I really hate the internet. Hi, this is DJ. This week on the popular blog Search Engine Land, Danny Sullivan reported a new feature from Google that will help eliminate some clutter from the internet. The internet is already the world's largest storehouse of documents and information, but part of the problem is that over time it has existed, many files are left past their useful date. To help remove the unneeded files from being indexed by Google, they will provide a new piece of code called the unavailable meta tag. This code will in effect put an expiration date on web pages which have information that is only valid for a certain amount of time, such as a sale price or a free document that would become a paid document after one month. Once the product is launched, webmasters will be able to include this code to make pages self-removing from indexing. Hi, this is Catherine. Today we're going to talk about how to make your blog or website smarter with widgets. For those of you not familiar with the term widget, a widget is an interactive mini web application that you can put into your website or blog to give your readers more information, functionality, and even some fun. Examples of widgets are informational widgets, like showing off stock tips or the latest tech news on your blog or website. Functional widgets, add a calendar or syndication capabilities so your readers can sign up for your blog. Fun widgets, let your readers play an arcade classic or answer trivia questions on your website. So where can you get these widgets? Widgetbox.com is a directory with over 290 million widgets to download. Its preview feature allows visitors to view the widget before downloading it. And the widget search function is very user friendly. Lastly, widgetbox.com even offers an FAQ section to help new widget users figure out how to upload widgets to their blogs or websites. So what are you waiting for? Go out there and make your blog or website smarter. This is Jeff. Google re recently launched its new ad preview tool. Uh, simply put, if you're running locally targeted ads on Google, this allows you to look at those locally targeted ads even though you're not located within the specific geo target. So for instance, we're an agency in South Florida. We have clients running ad in New York City. We don't actually have to get on a plane, fly up to New York and view the ads. We can just go to google.com backslash ad preview in the various drop downs, choose our geo targeting that's being done, 
type in our keyword and our local ads show up. The other great advantage to this is the fact that when you're doing these searches or you're clicking on your ads to make sure that they would be working, you're not wasting your clicks or impressions. And everybody knows the value of a click and making sure those impressions are there so that you're not lowering your click-through rate just running tests. This allows you to do that in a test environment and not waste those valuable clicks. Now it's time for Yahoo and MSN and Ask and the other search engines out there to step up and offer this service to help us smart marketers that are doing the right thing for our clients. Well, a big thank you for, to the team. That's a great job that they're doing on the uh, Live from the Blog section, and they cover a range of topics one person could never hope to cover. Next up is the What's Hot section, and um, today we're going to talk about uh, the U.S. presidential election 2008, and uh, we're going to designate the best Internet website performance by a 2008 U.S. presidential election candidate. So the buzz has really started early. I mean, this election, it's still a year and a half away, and the buzz is all over the Internet. Uh, the, the hot news this week was coming from the online debate, and CNN used questions from real people on YouTube, and the videos were played at the CNN debate, and each of the six of the three Democratic candidates were asked to comment on those questions. The format was excellent. It was well-received, and the questions were extremely honest. They were the type of real person questions including one coming from a snowman who asked about global warming and it was the kind of thing that you just couldn't get from a journalist or from a typical debate format now the other big buzz has also been on YouTube and it's a video featuring a scantily clad fan of Barack Obama and here's a sample of the song that has almost three million views on YouTube I look forward to continuing our conversation in the weeks and months to come. Hey B, it's me. If you're there, pick up. I was just watching you on C-SPAN. <sighs> anyway, call me back. You seem to float onto the floor. Democratic Convention 2004. I never wanted anybody more than I want you. So I put down my carry sign Knew I had to make you mine Smart, black, and sexy, you're so fine Cause I got a crush on Obama Now wait till 2008 Baby, you're the best candidate I like it when you get hot on Hillary in debate Won't you wake up your phone? Cause I got a crush on Obama so that song definitely is a catchy beat and, and it's a catchy video and certainly the scantily clad actress is uh, one of the reasons why there's been over 3 million, um, almost 3 million plays or views on YouTube so far. Um, there's also a takeoff that's already been created with the Obama girls against the Giuliani girls and that one's uh, rushing up the YouTube play playlist as well. Now the interesting thing is like previous YouTube hits such as Lonely Girl 15 and Ask a Ninja. This video was produced by a couple of amateur videographers and a professional singer, and they actually hired the Obama girl as an actress. So, 
we, what we've done is we've created the 10 Golden Rules Internet Performance Rating. And this is off of um, a format we've been using for a long time where we offer a free website analysis. We look at a number of criteria of how a website performs and how it does versus a number of competitors. So we took a look at the top six fundraisers for the 2008 election campaign and we applied the 10 Golden Rules Internet Performance Rating Criteria. Here's how it works. We look at 13 different items and score each item on a scale of 1 to 10. Each candidate could score a maximum of 130 points and their final tally was divided by 13 to determine the, an internet performance rating on a scale of 1 to 10. So the top six candidates we examined were Democrats Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and John Edwards, and Republicans Mitt Romney, John McCain, and Rudy Giuliani. So let me try and simplify a fairly complex exercise and explain how the performance worked. So the first thing we looked at was something called Alexa rank. And Alexa is an internet tool. It's great link bait to refer back to our earlier comment. Alexa ranks every website across the internet based on the number of unique visits to the website and the number of pages viewed on the website. And the top performer in this category was Barack Obama, who's in the just almost in the top 20,000 websites. He scored in the 21,000th to 125th position across all websites. Second place was Hillary Clinton coming in at 22,000. The worst performer, Rudy Giuliani, coming in at 107,000th website across the internet. The next thing we looked at was Google PageRank. And Barack again finished number one with a 7 out of 10 Google Page Ranking. Now, Google PageRank looks at the number of links into a website. We mentioned earlier how important it is to have links into your website in order to get highly rated in Google search engine. So Google looks at the quality of the links, how highly rated are the sites linking to your site, the quantity of links, how many links do you have in, and the relevance of those links. Are they coming from a similar category or are they just unrelated uh, links that your webmaster put on your site? So again, Barack the winner in Google PageRank. The next things we looked at was a tool called SEO Digger. And we love this tool because it tells how many actual results you got into your website. And we looked at two different criteria. Number one, who had the most page one results? Who had the most keyword terms that their website came up on page one of a Google search? And Hillary Clinton was the winner with 815 links, page one results to her website. Number two, John Edwards at 728. And in terms of SEO Digger overall results, the total number of connections to the website, Hillary Clinton again, number one, 1,748 different keywords come up and link to her website from a Google result. And John Edwards, number two, at 1695. Rudy Giuliani, again, pulling in last place position. He's not doing so well very far at 131 total results. The next thing, we looked at another tool by the same company, and this is called SEO Quake. And SEO Quake displays a whole bunch of different criteria. This one we looked at was Google Index. And we looked at the number of pages indexed, or the number of pages read into Google, and, and the number of uh, different pages on the website that Google had actually um, read or archived into its directory. 
and number one in this category was John Edwards with an amazing 45,000 pages index. The Edwards campaign has gone to the effort of taking every article, every written about, about John Edwards, and copying and pasting that article onto the website as its own unique web page. That is an incredible number. Number two was John McCain, who actually had 3,000 results. The next thing we looked at was the overall links, just a quantity of links as measured by Yahoo, and we, and, and, and we talked about the importance of the number of links to the site. Barack Obama with 199,000 results coming through uh, on Yahoo, and Hillary Clinton with 107,000 finished second, and um, McCain, John McCain was last with only 52,000 links to his website. So what this is saying is these are monster websites. If a website has over 100,000 links and they're in the top 20 or 30,000 websites across the internet, these are very big, very important websites and naturally with the, the most powerful position in the world up for grabs, um, these, these, these candidates are already very, very important people with very important websites. The next thing we looked at, again sticking with the theme of search engine marketing, was how many words they had on the page. And in our analysis, John McCain actually came up number one, got seven points in our in our rating scale, and Hillary Clinton came up number two. We uh, we also looked at the meta tags, the title tag. How are they describing the page? What keyword phrases are they using in the title tag? And how do those keyword phrases match the content that is on the page? And uh, across the board, all of the candidates performed very, very poorly according to our analysis of their meta tags. Um, the best performers were John McCain and Mitt Romney with a 3 out of 10. So very poor performance on our scale for the meta tags. Next, we wanted to look at the buzz across the Internet. And we went to a website called Technorati. That's T-E-C-H-N-O-R-A-T-I dot com. And we looked at how many blog posts had one of the candidates' names in it. And the winner for buzz on the blogosphere was Hillary Clinton with over 200,000 blog listings with her name in it. And number two, Barack Obama with 153,000. Rudy Giuliani, again pulling in last place in this, in this category, with only 73,000 mentions of his name. And, and perhaps that's because he's been a latecomer to the race and hasn't you know, officially jumped into the game here. The next category we measured was emails. And about six weeks ago, I signed up for the emails on all of these six websites. And to this point, I've received 25 emails from John Edwards and the Edwards camp. Number two is actually Rudy Giuliani with his only category win or, or placement with 12 emails. And the lowest number of emails, uh, on one hand, you, you could actually um, give, give the award to the person who'd spammed the least, was Mitt Romney. Now, across the board, almost every email is asking for a donation. With a couple exceptions, uh, I almost have to give uh, bonus points to Hillary Clinton because one of the emails I got was addressed from Bill Clinton, and certainly that is the kind of email that, that catches your eye. The next category we looked at was uh, online buzz. And Barack Obama, we scored him eight points because he's doing a couple really cool things on the website. He's got the, the videos out there, which his camp supposedly didn't produce. The videos out there, he's on Twitter and he's on uh, performing very, very well in MySpace. We'll talk about that in a minute. Number two, we gave six points to Hillary Clinton, who's actually, their campaign has produced uh, a knockoff of the season ending and, and series ending Sopranos episode. And on that episode, Hillary and Bill went into a diner, 
and they used the little audio player in the diner to portray uh, a contest where you could select the campaign theme song for the Hillary Clinton campaign. And they used another video to reveal the winner, a Celine Dion song. So in terms of buzz and, and video, Obama the winner, Hillary Clinton number two, and the loser in that category, Mitt Romney. We haven't seen anything really buzzy from, from their camp. The next couple categories we looked at were MySpace and Twitter. Now MySpace, of course, the very popular uh, website, and how you measure the popularity of a MySpace page is how many friends have registered. And Barack Obama is the winner again, 155,801 friends. So clearly he's connecting with that younger MySpace crowd. Over 150,000 people have said, hey, I want to be friends with Barack. I'm connecting my, my MySpace page with his MySpace page. Number two in this category, Hillary Clinton with 125,000 MySpace friends. And pulling up the rear, Rudy Giuliani with only 6,937 friends. And the final category we looked at was Twitter. Now, if you haven't heard of Twitter, you absolutely have to check it out. Go to www.twitter.com slash jberkowitz, and you can sign up to be my friend on Twitter. Now, when you do that, you can look at all of my other friends. And I've signed up with a number of people, including two of the candidates, um, Barack Obama and John Edwards. And John Edwards was one of the first people into Twitter, and he generated some of the early media commentary about this new medium. Basically, Twitter is like internet messaging on steroids. You're allowed 140 characters to send a short message to everybody on your Twitter list. And so it's a, an incredible way and a buzzy way to connect with some of the, the leaders and the thought leaders and the influencers on the internet because all of us are engaged in um, these t Twitter interactions. So we gave four points each to Obama and John Edwards. And so here it is. I, I'm going to try and see if we can get a drum roll. The big winner of the first ever 10 Golden Rules Internet Marketing Performance Criteria is Barack Obama with a total score of 77 divided by 13, a 5.92 rating, so almost a 6 out of 10. So there's a long way to go. As the election gets closer, I'm sure the scores will get a lot higher. The um, number two position, another drum roll, John, Ed John Edwards with a 5.85. Number three, Hillary Clinton with a 5.54. So all of the Democratic candidates are in positions one, two, and three. Barack Obama, John Edwards, and Hillary Clinton. And the top performer in the, um, on the Republican side of things, in position number four, John McCain with a 4.62, Mitt Romney with a 4.54, and pulling up the rear with a 3.2, Rudy Giuliani. So if anyone's listening out there from the Giuliani camp, we'd love to help you get your scores up on your internet marketing uh, performance. So next up is our fantastic interview. We had the opportunity to spend some time on the phone with Tim Westergren. Tim is the founder of Pandora.com. This is a truly great website. I'm, I am a raving fan, and I've, I must have told 50 or 100 people about this, this website because what it lets you do is prepare customized stations of music you like, and then it plays other songs very similar 
musically similar and format similar to the songs you selected. It's absolutely free and um, in the interview Tim's going to share some tips about how to create a great internet startup, how they give such great customer service and how they built this product completely virally with no paid advertising whatsoever. And he's also going to talk about uh, an issue that's come up from the Copyright Royalty Board in Washington and they would significantly raise the cost for free radio stations like Pandora. The interview runs about 20 minutes and then we'll wrap up with a great live acoustic song from Black Lab who have their own little piece of internet marketing fame. So without further ado, here's Tim Westergren, the founder of Pandora.com. Okay, hi, we're here with Tim Westergren. Well, we're actually not here, we're on a, a call, a conference call. Um, Tim, tell me a little bit about your background. Well, I'm a musician, so I spent most of my early adult years playing in rock bands. I, I studied music in college and, and uh, spent quite some time, you know, living out of a van and experiencing the joys and challenges of being, you know, a working musician. Um, and then I spent about four years as a film composer, so writing uh, music for movies. Um, and it's kind of those collective experiences that, you know, brought me eventually to Pandora. So for, for those listeners who aren't familiar with Pandora, and hopefully there's no one I know because I've been, I've been raving about this product since I discovered it over a year ago. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about the site and how it works and whatnot. Sir, so it's, it's a personalized radio service, and its mission really is to allow people to quickly and easily create radio stations that play just music they love. And it does that be, by relying on something called the Music Genome Project, which is something we've been working on for um, about seven and a half years now. Oh. And it's, it's this enormous musical taxonomy, basically, literally hundreds of thousands of songs um, that have been individually analyzed by a musician, each song along close to 400 musical attributes. So it's kind of like this big repository of musical DNA. And uh, when you go to Pandora, which uh, is mostly uh, an online experience now that you listen to through your PC, but is beginning to be available on phones and so on, um, when you type, you just type in a song or an artist and hit go, and it creates a radio station that shares musical characteristics with your starting point. I'm going to try and dummy it down and talk a little bit about my experience. <laughs> um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll dummy it down as in, you know, my simple, <laughs> dumb consumer <laughs> experience. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is, you know, someone recommended it to me, and they said, you, you go in and you put in a song or a band that you like, and then it plays a bunch of other songs or bands that are like the song or the band that you selected. So I'm going to try and do a live demo. Of course, they, they never work. But <laughs> um, I have a, a station that you, you create. When you, when you put in a song or a band, it creates a station. So I have one called Jack Johnson. And I'm going to press play. And let's see if we get lucky. We have a little Jack Johnson. And so it selected a song called Sing Along from Curious George. And say I don't like this song, I can just fast forward to the next song. Or you can give it a thumbs down, too. And it selected a song called Four Leaf Clover by a band called Badly Drawn. Yeah, Badly Drawn Boy. It's probably not showing the whole title there. Yeah. I'm going to skip one more. 
And we got Waiting by G. Love on an album called The Hustle. So what, what I really love about it, you know what, we'll go for a little musical background. What I really love about it is I can pick, you know, someone like Jack Johnson. He's great for the morning or, the, you know, a slow afternoon. It's a little rainy down here in Florida. And it, it creates a nice mood, and that mood sort of continues because the songs are like Jack Johnson. You want to just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so what happens, what's happening is you type in a song and you're giving Pandora this sort of musicological starting point. So that song has been analyzed along hundreds of attributes. And, and so it immediately goes searching for other songs in this you know, over half a million song collection that share that sound and then starts playing them, so sequencing them into sort of a sensible radio playlist. And it'll keep playing for, you know, it's free radio, it'll keep playing until you stop it. Um, and you can also uh, actually interact more with the service and start giving songs thumb up or thumb downs. And when you do that, you're kind of curating your station, so in a sense giving kind of musicological feedback that makes, sort of re refines the musical definition closer to what you want. Yeah, I love that. Because, you know, when I thumb down stuff and thumb up stuff, the station seems to get even better over time. Yeah, it, it will adapt in real time. So if you thumb a song down, it changes what comes next right away. It's, it's meant to sort of replicate, you know, what it might be like if you're talking to your, you know, your, your best friend who's a musical uh, aficionado and has this massive record collection. And you start describing some songs you like to him and, and then some songs you don't like, and, and as you give him more and more information, he gets better and better at pulling a CD off the shelf for you. That's really cool. Um, so where did the idea come from and the name, Pand I assume it comes from Pandora's Box. Want to mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, well, the, the idea for this, actually, the, for the Music Genome Project, which is really the foundation for Pandora, uh, came from largely from my own experience as a film composer, because my, my job as a film composer was literally to try to figure out someone's musical taste, you know, namely a film director's. And so you would, you would have a musical interview with them where you'd sit down together and you'd each bring a stack of CDs and start playing music for each other. And, and it's kind of like a musical Myers-Briggs test. Yeah. Um, and over the course of the conversation, as a musician, you, you start to you know, figure out what they want. And the music genome is really an attempt to bottle that and make that same interaction available over the Internet. And you know, we started this thing seven and a half years ago, and we were not intending to be a radio station at that point. It was just a recommendation engine. But um, after many, many years of uh, toil, um, you know, we wound up landing on this application, which I think is a great use of the technology. Who are some of the more, more popular artists, songs, and musical genres that people select as their starting stations? Well, Jack Johnson's a very popular one. Um, if you look at the top ten starting points for Pandora, it, it would be what you'd expect. It's sort of the really the sort of legendary artists and the hot, you know, new artists. But what what's interesting is that once you get beyond the sort of top stations it spreads out pretty fast to where there are, you know, tens of thousands of artists and songs that are getting um, uh, uh, sort of frequent, uh, 
they're getting frequently seeded to start stations. So in fact, over 250,000 unique song and artist names have been used to start stations. That's awesome. Yeah. Are you familiar with Chris Anderson's book, The Long Tail? No, of course, yeah. And so does it, when you chart it, does it look like The Long Tail? Yeah, I mean, this, this is, the music genome is really a long tail idea. I mean, it is really dedicated to helping somebody find stuff they'd never hear before. Let me describe um, the long tail a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the, the great book by Chris Anderson uh, called The Long Tail, and he has a blog or website as well. Um, basically, this, the premise is that in a, a bookstore or a record store or a record site, um, the best sellers in, in before the Internet, the best sellers, they could only stock so many best sellers. So the, your old record store could only fit so many records. So the classics, you know, a couple Beatles albums, a couple Rolling Stones, a couple Led Zeppelin albums were always always available. And then the bestsellers, the top 40 in a couple different categories, and uh, maybe some local stuff. And that was really all there was room for. And with the availability of the Internet, basically everything ever recorded or every book ever written is available to be sold. So it creates this long tail if you chart out the sales by uh, on the left-hand side or the the most sold products, and on trailing down on the right-hand side, you get down to you know even one a year for some books and some songs on on iTunes or some books on Amazon, and so it creates this long tail-looking chart, and um, and the theory is that you can sell a lot more of the the long tail products that without the internet and the accessibility would never have been available. Is that a, that's a long description? That was a, that was one of the best descriptions I've heard of it in such concise form in a long time. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, we have we have over half a million songs in our collection, and 95% of those songs play every day. Wow. And over half of the music that we play is from artists who are not signed to a label. So it really is, um, it's obscure music. I mean, I, I, used to, I used to play in bands like this, and that's, you know, part of the inspiration for this is, you know, how do you help these tens of thousands of bands out there who are, you know, essentially, for all intents and purposes, are like misshelved books in a big library, you know. They, they're playing music, but there's nobody watching. Um, how do you help them connect with their audience? And, and the Music Genome Project is really the, uh, from what I look, from what I see, is the only technology that is immune to the sort of catch-22 of, you know, you've got to be popular to be popular. Um, when we recommend a piece of music, it is not based on the band's popularity. In fact, we don't even know what that is. Um, so even, you know, even collaborative filtering, which is the, you know, people who bought this also bought technology yeah. that, I, that I think is, you know, energized, uh, you know, commerce in a very new and unique way, it still has the same issue, which is, you know, how do you, how do you help somebody buy a book that hasn't been bought before? So how do you help those bands? Like, what do you, what do, you do? Do you give them musical exposure? What else does the site do for them? Yeah, well, that's actually an area that needs a lot of improvement for us. Um, we do some basic stuff, which is, you know, you point people to iTunes and Amazon, provided that their music is available there, which is, which on, on a frustratingly large percentage is not true um, because it's such obscure stuff. Yeah. 
we also connect them to uh, biographies and information on the band, um, all from a site co called All Music Guide. Um, but that's about it. And in the long run, we, we view it as really essential that we um, put a lot of effort and, and add features to the website that will allow the artist to take more advantage of you know, the fan that discovers them on Pandora, because there's so many more things we could facilitate. I mentioned this site earlier briefly, and um, we've been playing songs from the Podsafe Music Network mm -hmm. at the end of this podcast. Are you familiar with that network? Of course, yeah. Yeah. So that might be another, I don't know if it's a future opportunity that you might be able to point to Podsafe and give the bands a little play in that space. Yeah, you know, in the end, we don't really care where our music comes from. You know, we get it sent to us directly from musicians. We get it from big labels. We get it from listeners. You know, you name it. Um, we're just trying to find as much great music as we can. And... Um, not really concerned about the source, you know, whether it's a prestigious label or it's from some hobbyists who, you know, record it in their living room. We're, we're really just trying to find the best possible music and, and as much of it as we can get in. And how does the site make money? It's advertising supported. So when you go to Pandora, um, you'll see visual advertising on the website. And yeah, the logos, the, the, the brand... Um, um, different banners and stuff like that, right? Yeah, and, and the, what allows us to survive is that the fact that people really do uh, interact with the site an awful lot as they listen. So, you know, people will typically launch an internet radio station and then just minimize it while they do something else. And on Pandora, the average listener clicks on it something like eight or nine times an hour. And it's, it's when they do that that we actually place an advertisement. So it's kind of like a guaranteed view, which is pretty valuable. Yeah, I appreciate that as a user, that you don't flash a whole bunch of ads. Yeah. But yet, if I change something, I get a new ad. Right. But generally, what I'm changing is I'm thumbing up or thumbing down, or I'm checking iTunes or Amazon and actually buying the song or the, or the album. And so, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, as a consumer, I'm really cool with that. Right. You know, it's kind of like a fair fair ad representation for interaction. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's no 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 like whack-a-moles or dancing monkeys floating around the screen. Yeah, no, I, I mentioned before that I love the site. I actually, when I, when someone's in here and we're going to do a, like a working meeting or something, mm. I always ask them, okay, who's your favorite band or favorite song? <laughs> Great. And I create a new station, and, and it's amazing that someone was in here and, and mentioned Buddy Rich, and I uh -huh. would have never have thought to create a Buddy Rich station. But uh -huh. Some of the stuff that it's revealed for me has just been fantastic, and so I'll often go back to those those stations, and it reminds me of the personality who who sort of created that station for me. Mm -hmm. I imagine... That's, that's, a, that's a music aficionado who gave you that. that. What's that? That's a music aficionado who gave you Buddy Rich. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> what, what other kind of stories do you hear from consumers about how they use and interact with the station? Gosh, I mean, there are so many. Uh, I, I think some that, are, that really get me excited from a musician standpoint is that uh, it, it is apparently now very commonly used by music supervisors uh, that are looking for for music for movies. So, you know, they might type in the, a song they really want but they know is not available or maybe they can't afford it uh, and, and wait to see what comes up on that station. Um, it's also used a lot, apparently, by uh, people that do um, live concert. Um, and so they'll, they'll type in the, you know, name of the, the headline headliner and then wait to see what comes next as well. So they, they find, you know, other bands to put on the bill that are maybe indie bands. Awesome. Um, and, and that's really great.
take, and it's just wonderful exposure. Um, yeah, and then you, the whole concert has a sort of similar feel. Yeah, and it makes sense. It's got a theme, sort of. There's a musical theme. Um, I, I also hear about uh, teachers using it in their classroom a lot. Um, but the highlight of all the ones that I that I have heard, I was I got in the mail. This was a little while ago. A um, someone sent to me a um, a prescription. Uh, you know, one of those paper prescriptions from yeah. a physician prescribing Pandora for somebody, <laughs> and it was it was true. Like it came along with a letter, and the and the person said, "My doctor literally prescribed Pandora for me." And uh, that, that that's got to be the best use of it to chill out, or <laughs> what, what, yeah, what I, I presume it was something to do with anxiety. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> something to relax, <laughs> create that, or Jack lift their Johnson. mood, create that Jack Johnson channel exactly. and mellow out a little bit. Exactly. Um, I, 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 I didn't. I don't know if I told you the story, but my business started. I, I was working in a dot com, and I wrote a presentation called "The Ten Golden Rules of Internet Marketing." And um, the a bunch of people asked me if I do consulting, and that's how we started our business. Oh, interesting. Um, and golden rule number three is create a UVP or a unique value proposition. Huh. And, and a UVP is something free on a website that users will come back for again and again. And you know your obviously free music and and the customized way is, is an awesome UVP. Mm -hmm. uh, can you comment a little bit on your approach in this area? Did you intentionally create that, or how did it happen? Well, I, I certainly I'm not sure that I would have articulated it like that, but but um, you know hindsight, I do think that uh, there were a couple things that we view as being UVPs for Pandora. Um, one is that it's super, super easy to use. And that may not seem unique, but it's it's um, quite unique, I think, for a lot of music services. Yeah, no, um, that's true. And, it, and you keep making it better, I, I find. Yeah, we're try and we're trying to just, you know, make it simple and elegant and, 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 you know, easy to use regardless of your musical knowledge or technical knowledge. And I think that is surprisingly unique. And and I think the second really unique part of it is, is the amount of of undiscovered music that you hear, um, you know the fact that it's free is not unique, um, uh, and the fact that it's sort of quote personalized even is not unique all by itself. But you know you hear on Pandora, I think more than any other music site, music that you really like that you've never heard before, and that's really unique. Yeah, just uh, just to go back to our little live demo here. Jack Johnson went to Blue Stockings by Richard Minus, All Your Faithless Loyalties by Two Gallants, and Happy Days Old Lang Syne is playing now by Richard Thompson. Mm. So uh, all three of those I had never heard of. Yeah. And and they all, I'll, I'll turn it up a little bit, they all kind of have that, you know, guitar, singer, songwriter. The Jack Johnson vibe. Yeah, really nice, you know, sort of laid back. <laughs> late afternoon kind of vibe. <laughs> um, you're, we talked a little bit about this several months ago, and you, you know we were talking a little bit about what you're doing for internet marketing, and you said that your your product's been so successful. You, one of your biggest challenges isn't more marketing; it's it's more servers, <laughs> just to be able to serve the volume of customers that you're getting on the site. Um, talk to me, you know, so I, I would call that viral marketing or word of mouth marketing that's really driven the success of the site. What have you done to create a successful environment for the, for the viral marketing to thrive? 
think that you know viral marketing to a, to to a large extent um, is its own animal, and you can you can do some things to pump it up, but I think at at, it, at its root, the best way to build a viral product is to make something that people really really love, and love enough to want to tell somebody about it. Um, if you have that, you know, then you just got to get out of the way, and 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 try and let it happen as you know sort of. Uh, add fuel to the fire, and and we've done a handful of things to, to sort of make handing off Pandora easy. You know, you can share stations, which is uh, very easy. Just yeah. uh, it, it sends an email to someone with a link. The fact that you can launch Pandora without registering was also an important decision. So, you know, you send someone a link, they click on it, opens Pandora, starts playing music with that new personalized station in there, and you don't yeah, actually, awesome. you know. Quickly to music, no muss, no fuss. That's a, a huge, a huge piece of it. And and I think probably the third and, is, and maybe the most important is from the very, very beginning, we sort of committed ourselves to responding quickly uh, and personally to every single inquiry that we got from anybody ever from anywhere, um, whether it was you know somebody calling to tell us that we were the devil to somebody calling us or sending us chocolate chip cookies. You know, we have really um, spent an enormous effort uh, corresponding with people, and that that happens in the form of email, it happens in the form of sort of in-person town hall meetings, um, phone calls, you know, you name it. I think the best thing you can do when someone, ha you know, sort of uh, compliments you by contacting you, whether it's to tell you that they think your radio is t terrible and you should stop, or that they you know, that Pandora saved their life, you 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 really need to engage with them, and then they become very very potent evangelists. Yeah, that's that was certainly the case with me. I think I just reached out to say, hey, this is awesome, you know, this is really great, and, and you personally sent an email back, so yeah, it well. really it really struck me and stood out. Well, um, you know, I think what's 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 uh, ironic about the web is that, in, on the one hand, it is it connected people in new ways. Um, time, um, it has disconnected people, and so, as much as we have all these opportunities to connect with each other, uh, not our personal contact happens. Uh, I'm going to ask a two-part question, and um, you know, one of the things that always amazed me is how did you guys always get so much incredible music for free. And the second part of the question, and even I have talked about this over the last couple of weeks, there was a recent decision by the Copyright Royalty Board in Washington, D.C. to almost triple the licensing fees for internet radio sites like Pandora. And I know it's something you've been working hard on, and we've been helping to publicize this issue through 10 Golden Rules sites. So um, talk a little bit about how you know you make this incredible selection of music available for free, and, uh, and what's at risk with this new decision, and, and what's the latest status on that? Sure. So in a nutshell, Pandora, along with virtually every other webcaster that you know of, operates under the umbrella of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which is a federal statute that mandates a whole bunch of things about Internet radio, including um, the way rates are calculated. And it stipulates that every five years, the rates, the licensing fees, are to be sort of reconsidered and arbitrated um, for the next, the subsequent five years. And recently, um, a 
tribunal met, a copyright board met in D.C. and decided to almost triple, as you said, the amount that we pay and all these webcasters pay for each song that we stream. So we, we pay two forms of royalty for each song. One is a publishing royalty, which is paid to the composer, and the other is a performance royalty, which is paid to each individual musician that performs on the recordings. And it's the performance fee that was just tripled. And if this rate isn't changed, Pandora will go out of business in a hurry, as will the, excuse me, the vast majority of uh, other webcasters, because the cost then of streaming becomes far more than one could ever uh, create in terms of revenue. Uh, and so it's really, we are in a, a very, very um, uh, critical phase right now of trying to get these rates rolled back uh, to a more reasonable level. And if it doesn't happen, it's going to wreck an entire generation of webcasters. Man, that, that hurts. I yeah. mean, it hurts me as a consumer because I love the product, but obviously you've built a, a phenomenal product and brand. Um, and and the, the fee decision was just put off for 60 days? Yeah, there was a there was a bill introduced. I'm not sure that bill is actually passed yet. Um, but perhaps more importantly, what happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, or a week and a half ago now, um, is that Congress intervened. Um, you know, there's been a very very active uh, campaign on the part of webcasters to um, you know mobilize the public and have them start contacting their congressional representatives to to get them to weigh in and and and. Um, reverse this, and there there has been so much public outcry that um, a week ago Thursday, uh, a couple of representatives um, uh, summoned all of the sort of interested parties in this um, uh, discussion, and in a room in D.C. stood up and said to all gathered that, you know, there's obviously something very wrong here. We are all hearing from our constituents loud and clear. Um, you guys need to get together and fix this, and if you don't, we will. Uh, in other words, they will legislate. Yeah. That's great. I was actually at a recent meeting, and a couple members of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which is an in independent, not-for-profit organization that just promotes commerce, um, they, they spoke at a group I'm involved with, and they said it's incredibly powerful when you contact your, your um, you know, different governors and what what can we as consumers do uh, what, to, to help Pandora and other states stay for free? Well, I think it's quite simple right now in the case of webcasting, which is to call representatives, and that means both the people in the House and senators, um, and uh, tell them that you as a constituent uh, want them to uh, help save Internet radio, and, and they can do that by sponsoring and supporting um, a bill called the Internet Radio Equality Act, which is, there's a version in the House and a companion version in the Senate. Um, and, you know, tell them why you want it to, to, to survive, and um, personal testimonials to these offices carry an enormous weight, uh, and that is by far the best use of time, you know, plus telling your friends to do the same. Yeah, you know, and, and these experts who, who sort of live, live and breathe and everything they do in Washington said that it's, you know, one or two letters to a congressman can be incredibly powerful in affecting their vote. Yeah, in fact, this, this campaign has been enormous. I mean, there have been over a million phone calls, faxes, and emails sent to, actually phone calls and faxes sent to the Hill. 
and it's been so overwhelming that that this bill, this Internet Radio Equality Act, was it was introduced about 10 days after it started, and it already has about 140 co-sponsors from the House. So there's this groundswell of sort of grassroots uh, support for a fix. And one of the things that I think is really important to understand about this is that webcasters are not asking for a free pass. I mean, we are more than happy to pay both publishing and performance royalties. Um, but they need to be at a, at a level that is sustainable, and, and they also need to be uh, somewhat on par with what's happening with other forms of radio. So one of the sort of um, really twisted aspects of this is that um, the rate that we pay is 10 times higher than the performance rate paid by satellite radio, so like XM and Sirius. And AM, FM radio pays zero performance royalty. Wow. So it's a wildly unequal playing field. It seems the more playing fields you, you uncover, the more <laughs> wows that you uncover. Yeah. You know, you, you said before there's this groundswell of people. It reminds me of the was a Dire Straits song, I Want My MTV. <laughs> we want our Pandora. Uh, well, th thanks for sharing that, and I'll, I'll continue to help getting the word out. Great, I appreciate um, it. Let's just go back to a couple more questions around Internet marketing and, um, and, and the site itself. You know, you've accomplished the dream of a lot of successful entrepreneurs, and you've built a successful dot-com, even though it started with, um, you know, pretty interesting background. What tips can you give our listeners who are dreaming of, of that startup.com success? Uh, uh, that is a question with many answers. But um, so, so I've, we have had a very unusual journey, maybe, uh, you know, having been at this seven and a half years now, coming up on eight years. And, and you know, we launched the company just before the whole dot-com world cr crashed. Uh, so we lived through some of the worst years for technology in many, many decades. Um, so I, I have a very particular perspective on, you know, what it's like to start a company. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in some ways, I think it's the hard times where you really do learn the most. Um, and, I, and I'd say probably uh, there are a handful of things that, that I think I've uh, I either learned or have been really reinforced for me. And the first one is don't do it alone. Um, find a partner and, and find somebody who you trust like a brother and who you also, um, who compliments you, you know, someone who does something different but sort of adds value, so, so someone you would love to partner with even if you didn't trust them, you know, yeah. if you didn't know them, um, and, 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 you know, and surround yourself as much as you can with good people, uh, and don't be stingy with your equity, you know, um, give people ownership and, um, uh, responsibility uh, and, and sort of embrace that because it is something that you just can't do alone. It's way too hard to do alone. Um, and I think that that uh, uh, the second thing, and this is you know obviously a luxury you don't always have, but find something that you just really really love to do because um, unless you're really really lucky, you're going to go through some reasonably extended period of time when your life sucks and you are being told no over and over and over again, and you feel very despairing, and you know you have, um, it's just very, very challenging. And um, one of the things that will keep you through that is just a raw passion for what you're doing. And, and, I, and that was true for us. You know, even when we were 
in our worst of times, I think everybody involved, and, and there were many people who you know, didn't work, work without salary for you know, a couple of years, all maintained a real belief and passion for what we were doing. And I think that kept us alive and during those, those tough times. Yeah, it's awesome. I, you know, I hear it over and over again. You know, follow your heart, follow your passion, both for your career and and for an entrepreneurial startup. Yeah, it's it's funny. You know, these it's such a cliche. Uh, and 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 when you when you think about you know, when I try to articulate what are the things that I learned, they're always very cliche. But there's a reason they're cliches. <laughs> you know, because they're really true. And and as an entrepreneur the sooner you know that those cliches are embedded with a lot of wisdom, the better off you'll be. Yeah. yeah. That's very wise words. Um, I'll just wrap up with a couple more general questions. What are some of the websites you enjoy um, personally or, or maybe some little business tools that you use? Uh, let's see. Websites that I go to. Um, the Onion keeps me sane. And it's, it's kind of like a, what do you call it? It's a, like it's, a, it's a comedy. Social commentary. Yeah, com- yeah, social commentary slash comedy. I just find it hilarious. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, hmm. Any blogs or feeds that you subscribe to? Or? Yeah, you know, I read Michael Arrington's um, pieces and I, you know, I'm a regular reader of TechCrunch. Yeah. Um, uh, it's really heating up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something happening every day in the valley. Oh my God, yeah. It's really, it's very exciting right now. Um, let's see. Gosh, you know, it's funny. I'm not a huge browser of the web. Um, You're probably busy working. Just let me Yeah, know. I mean, the, the truth <laughs> is I don't have a, a lot of time. Um, I I I I you know, I have my my feeder, but I I really look at headline news and I look at you know the TechCrunch stuff and um, uh, the rest of the time I spend sending email. So <laughs> yeah, you're probably doing it. I send you know like, to people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, many many hundreds of emails a day. It's it's a real awesome huge chunk of time. But How about any of the new social media or Web 2.0 sites? Um, I'm really enjoying Twitter. Facebook's really, really hot right now. Have you, have you gotten into any of those things? Not at all. It's funny, you know, I have never cottoned to any of the social networking sites. Um, I have a Facebook page. I have a MySpace page. And I I, um, I guess for me, um, uh, I, I do so much, I spend so much time corresponding, and there's such a massive amount of email that comes to me that, the idea of having another site to maintain yeah. um, is just, you know, it's frightening. Um, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, I, I, I was on LinkedIn um, uh, and a couple other sites, and, and, you know, after a while I just had to turn off because I, you know, I couldn't handle the additional obligations uh, that came from being part of a network. And, yeah. and so I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't use them. Can, can, you know, one last question. Can you share any Internet marketing tips or strategies, any last thoughts, anything else we might not have covered? Um, I guess one, and again, this is maybe cliche by now, but I think that people really appreciate honesty more
more than anything. Um, and uh, it, it, it means that you, you um, will spend time on the web when you're facing a lot of criticism. But I've I, I found that you know, consumers are profoundly loyal to sites that are honest. And if that means admitting you messed something up, you know, or you know that you made a mistake, and you you're really sorry for something you did, you know, people forgive you if you're honest, and they want that more than anything, and they know when you're not being honest. That's great. And and I think the the you know the blogosphere and the sort of citizen journalism is in some ways is the the real crucible for this, but you know the yeah. fastest way to to disappear as a journalist or a blogger is to is to lose integrity, and I think that you know, as an internet marketer, that is the cornerstone of what you do. Yeah, and if you're not honest, they'll turn on you pretty fast. No, forget about it. I mean, it's it, just as fast as they lift you up and support you, they will crush you like a bug, <laughs> and move on to the next person. Well, that's awesome. Hmm. So the the site's Pandora.com, P-A-N-D-O-R-A.com. Uh, Tim, any other contact information or? Uh, links you, you'd like to share with the the website has all you need uh, in terms of uh, em employment blogs etc it's all on that website so that's a good uh, repository for us awesome well thank you very much to Tim Westergren well thanks Tim that that was awesome of you to spend all that time with us it's 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 always amazing to hear from the founder of a successful enterprise how they did it uh, some of Tim's tips include following your passion and um, you know honesty and responding to all of his emails just good common sense guidelines to success um, if you if, if you haven't listened to Pandora I, I encourage you to check it out it's very simple just enter then go to pandora.com enter the name of a song you love or a band you love and then every time you hear a great song give it a thumbs up if there's a song you don't like as much give it a thumbs down and within a very short period of time you'll have a station that you're absolutely uh, in love with and if you really like Pandora please reach out to um, your contact in the House of Representatives or, or your, your senator and sponsor the Internet Radio Equality Act and, um, and, and you know reach out on behalf of Tim and free internet radio and on the other side of things if you know someone who's involved with the Copyright Royalty Board in Washington or someone who would like to take the counter-argument to free radio, uh, I'd love to hear what the, um, the recording arts folks uh, have to say on their side of this uh, discussion or argument. So um, with, with no further ado, this is, this is going to be a record length of the 10 Golden Rules podcast. Let's get into our, uh, our final song and close out for this episode. It's been a lot of really good content, so thank you to Tim and the team at 10 Golden Rules and everyone who's contributed, uh, John Bejarano and, and Joan Sparks as well. So here we go with a, a song from a band called Black Lab. It's called See the Sun. It's a live acoustic track. And uh, quickly about Black Lab, I mentioned they had their own little bit of internet fame. And in March of this year, uh, an organization of podcasters got together and created something called Bum Rush the Charts. Not sure if it was the greatest name, but the intent was to prove that bloggers and podcasters have market-moving power. And they selected a song from Black Lab called Mine Again. 
and the objective was to get it into the top 10 on iTunes and get people to buy that song on a specific day. And the campaign was very successful. Uh, mine again made it to top 10 on many of the iTunes charts around the world. And um, it showed the power of internet and blogging and podcasting and uh, made Black Lab a little bit famous. So I love live tracks. I love um, uh, acoustic and in, in the sort of vein of uh, Jack Johnson, let's get into Black Lab from the Podsafe Music Network. Here's Black Lab with See the Sun Live Acoustic. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the 10 Golden Rules of Internet Marketing Podcast. Please send comments and questions to podcast at 10goldenrules.com. That's podcast at 10goldenrules.com. Or use our call-in line 206-888-6606.